Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. I'm going to open up in prayer and then I'm going to um, bring you a word. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. God, we honor you and we glorify you. We thank you, Lord, that clearly your presence is in this place, God, and we have made room for you to do what you want to do. So, God, even as you have impressed upon me, God, a message for today, God, I just bow myself before you, Father, and call myself an oracle of the Lord, Father, that I am for your use and for your purpose. So, Father, whatever you desire to say, whatever you desire to do, God, we are here to surrender and bow our knee unto you. You do it, God. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. So I want to share with you briefly about the mission of Crazy Eight Ministries. Now, I understand Pastor Jonathan is kind of doing a series on evangelism. And, and so I asked him, I made the mistake of asking him, is there anything specific you want me to speak about on Sunday morning? He said, yes, I'm glad you asked. We're doing a uh, series on evangelism. So if you could stick with that. And I was like, okay. Um, and so, uh, and I, re- I did respond that way. Didn't I? I was like, that's not really my greatest strength. And, uh, and so it's interesting because I travel around and I do a lot of speaking. And, of course, we have this ministry for homeless people. And so you would think uh, that my greatest and strongest gift is evangelism. And it's really not, you know, if you do those little spiritual tests, I'm kind of like a zero on evangelism. Um, but what I found as I, was dis- as I was praying about this is that's kind of the uniqueness about evangelism is it can look like you. It can look like your personality. It doesn't have to look like Pastor Jonathan. It doesn't have to look like Jeremy. It doesn't have to look like, you know, all these famous evangelists that we know of, that their entire life was given to uh, going out and preaching the gospel. It can look like you. And so I started thinking about the passion of Crazy Eight Ministries and the mission of Crazy Eight Ministries, and I started thinking about what we're doing is we're reaching out and we're coming alongside people with the love of Christ And we're ministering into the body and the soul and the spirit. That's the mission. We want to bring healing in there yesterday, practical help in there today, so they can walk in a victorious walk in tomorrow. And one of my passions, one of my strongest gifts, is the idea of discipleship. And that's really what we're doing is we're coming alongside people and we're discipling them into the ways of Christ. And I started thinking about how that discipleship automatically brings out an evangelistic twist, if you will. And so I thought, well, isn't that interesting that what we're doing every day is we're setting up an environment, not where we're telling people necessarily about Jesus, but what we're doing is we're setting up an environment where they can simply experience him. And out of that experience comes an unction in most of the people that we're working with that out of their own healing, out of their own experience, out of their own transformation that they begin to experience that they want to go and tell the world all about the man that they've met. And I thought, isn't that exactly what Jesus did with the disciples? You know, I wrote a book, my very first book is called Discipleship from Information to Execution. And it's based on Mark chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, and chapter 6. And, and I feel like, you know, nothing in the kingdom is a pattern. We want it to be a pattern, but nothing is a pattern. But we learn things from the scriptures in the way Jesus did things. And what we learn in these four chapters is the way that Jesus brought up his disciples, and then therefore the outcome, which we know was in, Acts, in the book of Acts. 
But when we look at that, we see in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus says, come and follow me. Come and do what I do. Come and be a part of all that I do on a daily basis. And so there was this idea of opening up his life and saying, just come be with me. Just come follow me. Come watch me. Imitate me in all the things that I do. And then in Mark chapter 4, he then kind of goes into his classroom time where he begins to tell them and give them information about the kingdom. It's the whole passage where he goes into all these different parables and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like that. And he begins to give them information. And I kind of liken it to, imagine a world like this. Where Jesus begins to talk about the kingdom in story form. About two weeks ago, I had the honor of doing a conference called The Power of Your Story. And I talked about how Jesus took kingdom principles and he brought them down and he wrapped them up into stories so that people who otherwise wouldn't understand concepts that are too lofty for them would begin to see the reality or the God possibilities for their own life. And isn't that what our stories do? Our stories, when I begin to tell you what God has done in my life, all of a sudden these lofty thoughts, these lofty dreams, these lofty ideas or concepts that you think you know about or you've heard about become reality for you because you've seen it in somebody's life. And it begins to present your God possibilities and stir up your spiritual imaginations. I mean, that's the whole purpose of a story. We see somebody's story, we get inspired by them because we feel the stirring. And that's what Jesus was doing as he's in Mark chapter 4 telling them, hey, imagine a world like this, reaching into the heart of his listeners, pulling them through Narnia's door and pulling them into a different world. Grasping the heart and the imagination of all of his listeners. And then we see in Mark chapter 5 that Jesus says, information for you is not enough. I need to demonstrate what this looks like. And this is where I think sometimes we miss it. Can I just be honest with you? I think sometimes we make church all about information and learning and knowledge, and we miss out on the opportunity to experience the demonstration. Seeing what is this, what is, I have this information about Jesus being a healer and how he's placed his healing power inside of us, but what does that look like? Are we seeing the demonstration? I can't help but think about Gideon when he says, where are all these miracles that everybody has been talking about? Where are all these signs that we've heard about? What has happened to the demonstration of the supernatural? But in Mark chapter 5, we see that Jesus goes, listen, information isn't enough for you, my friend. I need to demonstrate. And he immediately opens up Mark chapter 5 with the healing of the legion of demons, demonstrating this is what it looks to minister deliverance. He then goes, and we know there's a story of the woman with the issue of blood. And she reaches out and she touches the edge of his garment and she receives healing. And he says, this is what it looks like to demonstrate healing. And then we know in the middle of that, there was Jairus' daughter, who is dead, and Jairus comes crying out, and at the sound of Jesus' word, her life is restored, and he's demonstrating restoration. See, what we have here is Jesus saying, look, it's not just good enough for me to give you information about what the kingdom looks like, about what the gospel entails, but I have to give you demonstrate, demonstration. 
all four parts of the gospel, not just salvation, but healing, deliverance, and restoration. A lot of people would call it the four-square church. But what I call it is the full gospel. See, because the full gospel, when we're going to go out and tell people about Jesus, there's got to be more than just information about salvation. We're, I, I fear that as the church, we've gotten to a place where we're preaching a quarter of the gospel and we're missing out on the best part. The best part, which means, what does this mean for me today? That evangelism is more than me telling you, hey, someday... But it's about saying, what does that mean for me today? How does that resonate in my life today? See, people need to know that you don't just need Jesus for your insurance for when you die and you get to go to heaven. What does it mean for me today? Why do I need Jesus today? How does that resonate in my life? How does that resonate in my relationship with my husband? How does that resonate for me in my struggle in my finances? How does that resonate for me in my knee that hurts? See, Jesus is applicable to every part of our life today. And we don't have to wait. And I believe that that's why the whole discipleship process is so important. If we're discipling people well, if we're discipling people well, we won't have to teach them how to evangelize. Because you won't be able to shut them up. He goes on in Mark chapter 6. He says, now I'm going to lay my hands on you and I want you to go and do it. See, we see this sequence that Jesus kind of walks through and demonstrating what does it look like to raise up disciples. Come, follow me. Imitate me. Do what I do. Be a part of my life. Let me give you information. Let me tell you. Let me teach you. Let me explain to you. Let me bring kingdom principles and bring them down into your reality. And then let me show you what that looks like. And now you go and do it. See, every other place in the world, if we go in any other occupation, if we want to become a doctor, if we want to become a nurse, if we want to become a teacher, if we want to become a lawyer, we learn by this see one, do one, teach one principle. Where we go to school and we see it, we receive information, we see it demonstrated, and then they say, okay, now it's time for you to do it. And your supervisor will sit there and they'll walk you through it. And then to master that skill, they say, now we want you to teach it. See, we know we've mastered a skill when we can turn around and teach it. And in every other occupation, we have this see one, do one, teach one principle. But do we do that in the church? Or are we just giving them information? Sometimes we let them see them, but do we ever say, now, okay, we want you to do it. And then organically, what will happen is there will be a mastery that comes for you that you want to teach it. You want to go and do it. I think we have forgotten the power that discipleship has to spark organic evangelism. We shouldn't have to force people or, frankly, teach them how to tell the world about Jesus. Amen. See, because if we're in love with Jesus, I tell people all the time, listen, you know, Mary Kay people, they can be kind of obnoxious. Everybody knows when you got a Mary Kay person because they're like, I got Mary Kay. Uh, so if, if we, uh, you, you know, if you, a Mary Kay person or somebody who sells any kind of product, right? But I love using the, the idea of Mary Kay because these women, they, they love their product, like Mary Kay people. And that's why they're kind of obnoxious about it. Because why? Because they believe in their product. See, if I, if I sold Mary Kay and you said, oh, is that what you've got on your face? And they said, well, no, 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 I don't wear it. But let me give you information about what it's like and what it would look like if you were going to wear it. Here, I've got these really cool pamphlets, and I went to these really cool teachings that taught me how to sell it. That's not how they sell it. They sell it because you can see it on their face. They're passionate about their product because they believe in their product, to the point where you can see what it looks like on their face. You follow? 
See, a lot of us need to notify our face that we've been saved. Can I just be honest with you? Like, some of you need to notify your, your attitude. You need to notify your verbiage that you have been saved. Because if we're really walking with the Lord and we're saturated in the Lord, there will be a countenance that comes upon us that you don't have to talk about Jesus. People are going to be coming to you and saying, there's something about you that's different. There's something about you that's different. And it's something that I want. There's something about the way you talk about your husband. There's something about the way you deal with your children. There's something about the way that you handle conflict. That's different from anything else. And I don't know what it is, but I'm drawn to you. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to kind of follow you around and watch you for a while. Is that not what people did with Jesus? They followed him. They were attracted to him. His countenance allured people. Drew them in. He didn't have to announce to the world, hey, in fact, most of the times we see at the end he would finally say, oh, and by the way, I am he. And they were kind of like, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> they already knew. He didn't have to say he was Jesus, the Son of God. Because they could tell by his countenance, by his demonstration, by his love. And if we were saturated with the fullness and the goodness of the Lord, eating and feasting on the goodness of who God is, what we would find is when you're walking, do you remember, do you remember I think it's in John chapter 2, maybe in John chapter 1, I think it's in John chapter 1 actually. So uh, Jesus is walking, and <laughs> I love this story, he's kind of just hanging out, you know, and the Bible says that there were some disciples who were following him from behind. And Jesus being God he gets, I love the scriptures, they're, fun. they're so fun. And so uh, he's like God, so he's like, who's following me? And he turns around and he says, what do you want? Which is a key phrase, right? He says, what is it that you want? And they said, we, we want to know where you're staying. See, they were intrigued, they were drawn by who he was. And here's the beautiful thing about it. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to do more than that. I want you to come and stay with me. I'm not going to tell you where I'm staying. I want you to come and see it. I want you to come experience. I want you to come and be with me for the entire day. And here's what happened. They spent the entire day with Jesus, being saturated by his presence, being consumed by his love, being in the midst of his spiritual metron. You know what I'm talking about? His countenance. And the Bible says that when they got up and they left, that they went and they told others, come and meet the man that we just spent the day with. See, there was an organic upcoming out of their belly that, that Jesus didn't say, now listen, you, now you need to go and tell the world about me. He didn't have to give them instructions. He didn't have to teach them. He didn't say, here's step one, here's step two, and here's step three, and we call this evangelizing. See, it just happened. It was organic. Why? Because they had experienced Jesus. And when we've been experiencing Jesus, when we have felt the product upon our face, we want everybody else to wear the product. You follow? This is nowhere in my notes, y'all. This is totally free. Just for you, fresh today. And so I want to take us to, um, I want to take us to 2 Kings. As I was thinking about that, as I was thinking about the four lepers, before I do this, let, let me, let's, just go to the, let's just go to Webster, because Webster has everything figured out, right? And let's take a look at the definition of evangelism. It says, the winning or revival of personal commitments to Christ. Militant or crusading zeal. Now listen, now, to revive means to come back to life again. 
Okay? So we're putting all these pieces together here. Evangelism means a coming back to life again of your personal commitment with a winning zeal. And that word zeal there, I love this. Great energy or enthusiasm, passion, fervor, fire, gusto, and vigor, but it also includes the idea of fanaticism. Okay, are we Jesus fanatics in this room? Does the world know that you're a Jesus fanatic? Because I would say that about those Mary Kay ladies. They're kind of fanatics about their product. Why? Because they believe in their product. See, we have to be a people that understand that evangelism isn't just telling you about Jesus. I'm a dumb guy. And it's like you, you, you might want to notify your face that you're excited about your product. And be a little bit enthusiastic, passionate, filled with fervor, filled with fire, and have a little gusto in your step. That's what it's talking about. Thank you, Webster, for clearing all that up. But the Greek word for evangelism actually means gospel or good news. In fact, the word gospel actually means, I don't know if you know this, but the gospel actually means too good to be true news. Too good to be true. See, they had to make up the word. The word gospel did not exist before Jesus. And they were like, what kind of word do we come up with for this good news? Uh, it's too good to be, it's too good to be true news. Like nobody's going to understand. So they make up this word called gospel to explain not just good news, but good news that's too good to be true good news. That, that's a good word, is that not? It's too good to be true. But a lot of us haven't experienced the, this is too good to be true, in our own life. And so we go and we tell information. We give them knowledge about what we know of the gospel. But we haven't experienced the, this is too good to be true. Are you following what I'm saying? Listen to me. Let's go to 2 Kings. I'm in 2 Kings chapter 7. I'm going to start with verse 3. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance at the gate, and they said to one another, We are sitting here until we die. If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall die also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall only die. And so they rose at twilight, and they went. And when they came to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. And so they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and they fled at twilight and left their camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went in one tent, and they ate, and they drank, and they carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and they went and they hid them. And then they came back and they entered another tent, and they carried some from there, and they went and they hid it as well. And then they said one to another, now listen to me. They said to one another, we are not doing right, for this is a day of good news. And if we remain, we, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. 
I would like to propose to you that we have a perfect picture of what evangelism should look like. Here we have people who are broken, people who are desperate, people who are lost, seeking survival. And they come and they find something that what they did not earn, something left intact, something like Jesus Christ, who gives us more than just life, but gives us gold, silver, plunder, booty. I like to call it booty. I think it's fun. It's called the booty of the Lord, the loot. We talked about that last night. The idea that coming into Christ is more than just salvation. But there are goods and there are riches and there are silver and there's gold and there's fruit and there's abundance and there's plethora and there's overflow that God has in mind for us. There's more than enough. And here we, we have the lepers go in there and they begin to taste the goodness of their salvation. They begin to drink in the goodness of what is literally rescuing them. Are you looking for insight, direction, or empowerment for your passion or purpose? Lisa offers group coaching for individuals, small groups, as well as businesses. If you want to bring transition, perspective, and focus to your purpose or passion, contact us today. For more information, Go to lisa-swartz.com. That is l-i-s-a-s-c-h-w-a-r-z.com. See, they were about to die, and this was their rescue. And they began to see all the silver and the gold and the clothing and all the goodness that was just left them there for them to take. For them to reap. And at first, they thought, well, we should probably hide this. And, and the Bible says that they hid it. And they came in and they entered into another tent. And they carried some from there and they hid, hid it and they went. Now listen, that word hid there means to hide, to conceal, to bury, or to keep in the dark. To keep it in the dark. It denotes the idea of hiding yourself. So if we read it in the Hebrew here, it denotes the idea that they weren't necessarily hiding the loot, but they were hiding themselves, which we do carry the loot, do we not? Hiding who we are, hiding our personality. Last, time, last night we talked about the directive in the scripture to arise and go. And how in the Hebrew that idea of arising means to come onto the scene, to come into yourself. To remember, this is who I am, and I'm coming onto the scene. When we arise, it means I'm coming in, and I'm going to cause a shift. I'm entering in, and I have arrived. This is me. A confidence in who we are and who God has called us to be, the gifts that he's given to us, and saying, I am no longer going to hide myself. I'm no longer going to stay in the dark. I cannot be concealed. I cannot be quieted. I cannot sit down because I've experienced a loot that I want the world to know about. That is evangelism, is it not? It can look in any form. But it's easy when you're fat with it. Because you begin to explode, you begin to ooze, you begin to seep out of the cracks of your life. You can no longer hold it in. You're like a fire, it's like a fire shut up in your bones. 
Not being able to hold it in. In verse 9, the message reads it like this. Finally, they said one to another, we shouldn't be doing this. This is a day of good news, and we've decided to make it a private party. Sometimes we do that with church. This is our private party. Oh, we don't want them to come to church. Oh, did you, did you see Susie who she brought to church? The, come on, y'all, I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real. We not necessarily say that verbally because we know better, but your face is saying it. I know this because we have residents who have tattoos and all kinds of stuff, and they, they're required to go to church, and sometimes they have to go three, four, or five times before they find one where people aren't looking at them and making them feel less than welcome. And they come back to us and they say, why would I want to go there? These people look grumpy. They were not friendly. They're bickering with each other. I'm happier in the shelter or in the streets. We are not giving them anything to want. We're not demonstrating where they would be like, ooh, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to follow them. And wherever they're going, I'm going to go. And wherever you're staying, I want to stay. And I want to spend a day with you because there's something you have that I want. And we have got to start with us. See, revival and evangelism starts in your own heart. Some of you need to come back to life again. Some of you need to come back onto the scene. Some of you need to come back into who you are in Christ. And when you do that, there will be a shaking and a rattling inside of you that people around you will stand next to you and they'll feel a rumbling in the floor. Can I, am I talking to somebody in this room? And we need to get back to that place. It goes on to say, if we wait around until morning, we'll get caught and punished. Come on, let's go and let's tell this good news to the king's palace. In the KJV it says that we're, this is good tidings or of great reward. The primitive root there means to bear, to publish, or to preach. I'm not making this up, I'm not that smart. In the Hebrew, it's basically saying, listen, have now become a bearer of good news. You have become a bearer of something that you need to announce, something that needs to be published and something that needs to be preached. That's what it's saying here. The word punishment in the Hebrew actually implies the word guilt or conviction. And I love the idea that there was a recognition that to sit around on this great reward would bring great conviction and sadness to their heart. See, can I tell you that when we understand the greatness of the reward we've been given, when we're saturating ourselves, when we're daily eating of the loot of the Lord, when we're daily recognizing the gold and the silver that he's put into our lives, that when we don't go and tell people that there will be a great sadness that comes upon us that says, this is the day of good news, and we're not doing right in not going and telling the world. That, my friend, is evangelism. I think there was a love that they had to rescue the people of Samaria. And they knew that to keep what could rescue them to themselves would ruin their own hearts. They knew that there would be a sadness in their own heart. But what stirred up their unction to go and tell, to go and be a part of the rescue mission, the rescue mission of their own town was their own experience with the loot. I'm here to tell you that evangelism starts with you in your own heart. It starts this way. It starts on eating of the loot of the Lord. 
It starts on experiencing him, saturating him, and asking yourself, have I taken all that God has done in my life and have I hid it? Have I concealed it? Have I left it in the dark? Or maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't know that there's anything bubbling up inside of me. I don't have that passion. I don't have that excitement. And before I go out, I need to step in. Because some of us in this room need to step back, step in before we step out. Come on now, that's a good word. Some of us need to step back and step in before we step out. Because when we do that, here's what I know. Here's what I know, that we will become like Jeremiah who said, if I will not, I will not mention his word or speak any more of his name because his word... He said, but if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. And he goes on and he says, I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And if we're not feeling that, something's not right. And we need to be willing to be wrong before we can be righted. I just made that up. You're welcome. Let me put it to you in biblical terms. In John chapter 9, Jesus says, If you claim you can see, you shall remain blind. If you claim you can see, you shall remain blind. See, we need to be willing to say, Ooh, I don't see. Maybe, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something more. Maybe I don't have it figured out. And before we can have our eyes open to the Holy Spirit, we have to be willing to say, I don't see it yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not experiencing what... See, some of you are like this. And what that tells me is your mind and your spirit are trying to reconcile two concepts right now, okay? So that's what I'm reading spiritually in the room here, is that we're kind of causing this paradigm shift, and then there are some of you that are like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do that. Yeah, all right. And you're feeling this relief of all this pressure of thinking, I have to go out and tell people about Jesus in the supermarket. No, you don't. All you do need to do is notify your face, notify your countenance, Notify your speech, open up your spiritual eyes, and God will be bringing encounters to you that you cannot stop. See, he will work in spite of you, and you will find it easy because the yoke of the Lord is easy and his burden is light. See, it won't be a burden. It won't be a have to. It'll be I get to. I can't wait to. Ooh, I hope I run into. That's what it'll be like when Peter and John, ordinary unschooled men, Ordinary unschooled men were arrested for spreading the gospel. They were forbidden to speak and teach about Jesus, and they responded by saying, for we cannot and we will not stop speaking about the things that we have seen and we have heard. We cannot and we will not stop speaking about the things that we have seen and we have heard. And this goes back to the fact that what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you experiencing? See, some of us don't have stuff to talk about. Because we don't have our own experience. We ride, our faith is riding on the coattails of those around us. You know, in, a, in a Revelation chapter 2 where he says uh, that because your faith is lukewarm, because you're lukewarm you shall be spit out. He's talking about there was, there was Aeropolis and Colossae and in one there was a hot spring and in one there was a cold spring. And he was saying that there was purpose to the hot spring and there's purpose to the cold springs. There was medicinal value in one, and for the other one, they didn't have refrigerators, so to, the people would travel all over to get a drink from a cold spring. You follow? See, they had their own. But in the middle here was this, this uh, 
Laodicea that had this, this lukewarm water. And there was lukewarm there, and here's why. See, what they did was they would pull from the hot spring. They didn't have their own water source. That's what I want you to hear me saying. They didn't have their own water source. So they built underground where they pulled from the hot spring, and they pulled from the cold spring, from the north and from the south. And in the middle, it would settle, and it would make the water in Laodicea. But here's what happened. It became lukewarm there because it wasn't their own water. Come on. It wasn't their own water, and there was no movement to it. And it says that people would come, and they would come from the hot spring, come from the cold spring, but when they traveled through Laodicea, they would drink of the water, and because there was no movement there, see where it met in the middle was move, it wouldn't move. And so the water was not only lukewarm, but it was stagnant, and it would get this film on it. And so people from around would come, and they would drink of that water, and it was so disgusting, they would spit it out of their mouth. See, that's what that's talking about. That was all for free. But the point is, is Laodicea didn't have its own water source. And when they pulled from another water source, when we try to pull off the faith, experience Christ off of the experience of others, our own faith will be stagnant, stale, and lukewarm. And a lot of us don't have the unction to function in evangelism because we don't have our own experience. But we're living off of the experience of people on my right and my left. Is that not what Jesus was saying when he said, who do the people say that I am? And some of them said, well, some say you're this, and some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah the prophet. And Peter said this, and Jesus said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter responded and said, You are the Son of God. And he said, Blessed are you, Son of Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But this has been revealed to you by the Spirit. And some of us haven't had our own spiritual revelations. Some of us haven't had our own spiritual experiences. And we hear people saying, Who is Jesus? And you say, well, my pastor told me this, and I, I heard this on the radio, and I went to a really cool women's conference this weekend, and this is what Pastor Lisa said, and, and, we, and we begin to say all of these things that other people have told us, and this is what I've seen him do for my neighbor, and this is what I saw him do for my grandma, but who, what about you? Who has he been to you? Do you have your own hot spring? Do you have your own cold spring? Useful. There was no use for the, for the lukewarm spring. It was completely purposeless. People couldn't even take a drink from it. And when we have a stale, stagnant faith in our own heart, people are going to come around you and you're going to try. Let me try and tell you. And they're going to be like, it's no good to me. No purpose. No use. Because it's not hot and it's not cold. There's no passion. There's no fervor. There's no fanaticism. So I'm here to challenge you today and ask you if his presence is oozing out of you. I heard it once said that evangelism, simply put, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. But I think it would be more accurate to say it's one beggar getting fat on the bread and then sharing that bread with another beggar. See, because to just tell somebody where the bread is is different than somebody be able to say, dude, you've been eating some bread. <laughs> I can tell because you're getting fat in the middle. See, there was evidence there. 
If we're eating on the own bread, our own the bread first, and we're getting fat, I don't have to tell people. My life begins to be an evidence. My life is proof. My life shows it. It's evidence. See, when we're eating on the bread ourselves, it's evidence of the bread, the bread of life. And I'll close with this. Psalm 34. And they often call this the song of evangelism. And I would, I would like to propose that it sums up everything that's been spoken this morning. And it's the psalmist saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. He, his praise shall continuously be on my mouth. My soul makes its own boast in the Lord. Let all the humble hear and be glad. See, he's saying, this is who I am. This is who my life. I'm focused on who I am, my own relationship with the Lord, boasting in the Lord, allowing his praise to continuously be upon my mouth. My soul making its own boast and other people. And then there's an invitation. Oh, come and magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. This is what I love about really good worship leaders. Really good worship leaders, they're not going to try and corral you into worship. She's like, I'm worshiping. You can follow me or not. I'm going to get out in front and I'm going to usher you in. And if you decide not to come, that's not my fault. See, a lot of times people will be like, well, it's terrible worship. Oh, really? You can't keep me from worshiping. I don't care how good or how bad a worship leader is. If I want to step in, I'm going to step in. But if I want to stand there and be salty, I'm going to stand there and be salty. That's my choice. But I'm not going to let my own judgment or the criticism of people around me steal a moment with God from me. See, you have the power by the Holy Spirit because Jesus tore the veil from the top to the bottom to step into the most high place anytime you want. Come on. And so he says this invitation, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's just do it together. Listen, this isn't about what you need. This is about what I'm going into and an invitation for you to come with me. Just get out in front. Let your own passion, your own fanaticism, your own zeal be your words. Let who you are evangelize. He goes on and he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. I've had my own experience. I've had my own deliverance. I've had my own transformation. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. See, this poor man cried. And the Lord, he heard me, and he saved me, and he pulled me out of all my troubles. And nobody can take that from me. You can say what you think, and you can say what you know, but you can't tell me that I once wasn't blind and now I see. See, I've had my own experience. You can't stop me from telling the world. He goes on and he says, for the angel of the Lord encamps around all of those who fear him. See, you can feel the encampment of the spiritual presence when you come in my Metron. People have told me that when I just stand next to you, there's something about you. And it's not because of anything that I do, it's simply because of what I have experienced and what I'm passionate about and the zeal that God has put in my heart. And it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I would like to propose to you that David was an evangelist. 
And it wasn't because he went out and he told the world. It was because he had tasted and he had seen it. And his life, you know, when we've been eating fish or when we've been in a, in a Burger King, sometimes people can smell it on you, right? They smell the aroma of what we've been eating. And when we've been eating and we've been tasting and we've been seeing, there's an aroma of life. And the Bible says to some it will be death and they will run. And that's okay because you can follow me or not, but either way I'm going. Either way I'm going. So, Father, we come before you today in the name of Jesus. And we just thank you, God, that you are a glorious God. God, that you are something to talk about. God, and I don't have to be taught, I don't have to be told, I don't have to be convicted, and I don't have to be guilted. Because what I've got is like a fire shut up in my bones and you can't keep me quiet. And I will go and I will tell the world and I will do it, God, however you tell me to do it. Father, I will say what you tell me to say. I will do what you tell me to do. I will go where you tell me to go. And if none go with me, even still I will follow. So Father, I thank you that there's a fire you have in mind for us today. And I'm just going to, I'm going to ask for just, we were just been praying for just a fresh fire. A fire that begins to burn so hot in your bones that you can't stop talking, being, exploding, and oozing the presence of the Lord. Father, you do it today. Father, you do it today. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For more information or to keep up on current events and products, please go to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com.